Welcome everybody to the Genus Brewing live stream. This is a live stream we do every single Sunday. Welcome uh, everybody to the Genus Brewing live stream. This is a live stream we do every single Sunday. Inception. Uh, and this is uh, kind of the order of operations as we go through some Genus Brewing news, new stuff that happens on tap here in the brewery or just in the general beer um, community or industry at whole. Then we go into a style of the week where we try to give you our favorite malt, hops, and yeast of uh, a style. And then we go into two discussion topics, which today we are tackling um, because we just put a coffee culture on tap. Spoilers for the Genus News. Uh, we're ta tackling all the ways to add coffee to beer, and we are tackling something. I don't know. I didn't read the second page, actually. Lesser used adjuncts. Ooh, yes, actually. Uh, Roggen was on my mind this morning, too. Nice. Like, you got, yeah, got Roggen yeah. on, on the mind. Roggen on the mind. Got Roggen on the mind. Roggen Rolla. Yeah. All right. So uh, go ahead and let us know how we're looking and sounding, and uh, we'll just go ahead and jump into it. Oh, my oh my gee. Am I late? What did I miss? Ask Corbs. Where's Logan? Dad jokes. Ah, nice. I mean, Shandy. Oh, it's supposed to do Shandy. Yet. Shandy's going to be uh, next week. We're talking about yeah. Shandy's next week. Or Rattlers. Yeah. Shandy's We're talking about both. All the, those are, yeah, that's a good summer beer topic. A, that is a good summer beer topic. But we actually. just put Coffee Kolsch on tap this week, and so that's what we're going to be going for. Um, let's go into some Genius Brewing news. Speaking of, we put Coffee Kolsch on tap, and uh, Warren made the beans. Warren did make the beans. He roasted some delicious coffee over at Dark Toast. You should uh, order some on the internets from them if they sell them on the internets, or just go and drink from them. Yeah, it's I, good coffee. I had good, uh, good plans yesterday to go have some coffee from them, but right <laughs> down the street is De Leon's Tacos and Bar. Mm, yeah. And they have a margarita flight plus like a taco sampler where you can get 24 tacos and margaritas and tacos like, I, I mean i was lost feel like i need to have that plan very very soon also uh they had amazing michelada there oh really michelada nice. yeah i want to try a solid one like because mm. the the best michelada that i've had so far is still down in san diego uh, and it was at a breakfast place that i went to down there and it was yeah nailed it for the liquid on the uh, rim for it, you know, I think it was it was either hot sauce or uh, tomato juice, and I mm. really enjoyed that. A it was delicious. Different binder than lime juice. I like that yeah. idea. So, sorry, Warren didn't make it to get coffee because, you know, tequila and tacos. Also, your middle or last name should be Peace. Your parents should have just thought that far ahead. That, yeah, yeah, they should have. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can go legally change it now. Yeah, do it. Um, right. Cherry Blossom Hard Seltzer. Brand new hard seltzer on tap. Tasting amazing. Yeah. Get a little bit of floralness, tastes like cherries, put it in your face hole. It's delicious. Yeah, I like it because it's not as punch. It doesn't have that big um, that big punch of flavor like some of our other ones do, which mm. I like those too, but this is like nice and soft, and you're just like, this is a pleasant beverage. Like yeah. everything just kind of blends together. It feels good. It feels good in the, uh, on the hole, in the hole? Um, yeah, all the holes. All the holes. In all the holes, it feels good. It feels good. Uh, Tim brewed some other beers. He brewed two beers this week? <laughs> yeah, let, uh, let's see. We brewed a Scott ish Which light I, beer i'm excited for that that's it's a fun experiment um we're trying to build all the flavors of a scotch ale without being as dark as a traditional scotch ale yeah i mean i would say it's kind of more of like a what a scottish pale ale might be in that but not quite going into the pale ale hop realm i yeah. don't know it'll be interesting so uh, that should be on tap in the next two three weeks super fun uh what's the other one you brewed uh, you know i read um, actually, it's going to be a really nice, cool red going in there, getting all the color from uh, actually mostly Viking malts this time. Uh, some of their dark Munich as well as their red active malt. Nice. Um, so it's got a beautiful color for it. 
you know, we got to keep our regular Jerry happy, and we're starting to run out of our quite red. So that that had to happen. Got to always have a Jerry beer on tap. That's just kind of a given here. That's a 100% given. Has uh, to happen. We got a sweet new fridge from a company called New Air. So uh, I'll throw this one out to everyone listening at home. Uh, this is a dual zone temperature controlled fridge. And my thought is I want to teach people about the different uh, ideas of cellaring. Um, uh, different ways to sell our beers, yeah. uh, why you would choose yeah. different temperatures, that kind of thing. Because um, you have your cold fridge for just like beer that you're storing that's going to be like nice and bright and crisp, um, that American light lager. And then you've got like that 50 degree zone that's good for some beers, and then that 40 degree zone, like 40, 45 for some beers. And so I think it'd be kind of cool to run down that. Um, and also, that gave me an excuse to get a, a sweet new fridge. So that, that is true. Um, yeah. So look for that. If you guys, if you guys have ideas on what you'd like to see, uh, kind of in that knowledge realm um, from a video, let us know. Yeah. So uh, you know, I put my car in reverse the other day. It really took me back. <laughs> nice. All right, and that leads us into beer of the week. Bum, 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 beer of the week. Yeah. Uh, today's beer of the week is going to be the Kolsch in honor of the coffee Kolsch that we just put on tap. Um, Kolsch is a fun style. It's a, it's a light beer with flavor. Um, it can have up to 20% adjunct, which is traditionally wheat, uh, but it doesn't need to have any. It can just be also 100% base malt beer as well. Um, basically, this is uh, we've talked the last couple of weeks. I think we've had excuses to talk about hybrid yeasts yeah. um, and why we use kind of either uh, lager yeast fermented warm or ale yeast fermented cold. Um, and this is another example of a beer that fits that category. Yeah, and uh, kolsches are delicious. I mean, it's one of those styles that you saw every once in a while, but it's becoming far, far more popular these days. And I think it's because of that hybrid aspect. You can get those nice crispy boy flavors coming off of mm -hmm. it, but still actually ferment it warm and a little bit quicker than the lager. Yeah, or have some character behind it. And uh, you, know, you got you have that, that the aspects of the nice light lager, but with extra-ness. Mm -hmm. Actually had a delicious Kolsch, uh was that yesterday? That was yesterday too. Uh, over at Yaya Brewing Company, there uh, was it eighteen oh six. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a five of six pack, that. and uh, should have brought some in, but I think I drank it all. So next time. Next time. Oh no, that was Friday. Never mind. Okay. Uh, you know, days are blending together. It's all the same day. Now. Slightly more of an excuse, I guess. Yeah. Um, Kolsch overall impression: it's a, it's a clean, crisp, delicately balanced beer, uh, usually with a very subtle fruit hop character. Um, subdued, subdued maltiness uh, throughout leads into a pleasantly well attenuated and refreshing finish. That's where we get that crispy woo. Um, freshness makes a huge difference in this beer, and the delicate character can fade quickly with age. It's brilliantly clear. So basically, yeah. they just described a crispy b boy with more flavor, like we kind of, like we kind of mentioned. Pretty much on that. Aroma on this is going to be low to very low malt aroma with grainy sweet character. We're talking about like pilsner malt grainy sweet character mm -hmm. on that uh pleasant subtle fruit aroma from fermentation um i always like to think of this as kind of like the german fruit on there it's a little bit of green apple skin uh and i absolutely love it uh it's acceptable not always present doesn't have to be in there one of my personal favorite flavors and just a tiny little bit you don't need too much yeah um uh, for malts, somebody I was already asking what kind of malts we're thinking. Uh, this is actually oh, yeah. one of the few exceptions where I would probably use a regular Pilsner malt, um, a German-style Pilsner malt, over Heidelberg. Heidelberg's going to be a little bit too light, and this doesn't have a lot of extra, um, uh, what am I saying, 
specialty uh, malts to kind yeah. of add flavor. So I guess you could use, if you use Heidelberg, you use like an aromatic uh, malt. Uh, but on this, mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep it simple and probably use a regular Pilsner malt in this style of beer. Also, by the way, this weekend is really special. I forgot to mention in the news, my wife's birthday was yesterday and my son's birthday is today. So everyone out there, make sure to yell as loud as you possibly can. Happy birthday, mm -hmm. Lisa, yesterday. And happy right. birthday, Kieran, today. Loud enough that the it just rings out through the entire world, you yeah, know, all at once in unison. Exactly. We're gonna leave it up to you to decide <laughs> when that time is, but you all need to do it in unison. Yeah, just random people start counting. <laughs> Three, two, yay! It's your birthday. <laughs> Why were you born at all? Um, appearance is going to be just, you know, your, your standard crispy boy. Um, it's got a very light color range at 3.5 to 5, which, by the way, 5 is, like, not even to that orangey color. It's still very, very yellow. Um, but it can, have a, it can have a deep yellow, you know. So this can be a very, very light beer, but it's not going to be Bud Light Light, which is, like, less than 3. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Uh, somebody said there's a few beers in our fridge that we should drink, and I kind of might agree with them. Yeah, yeah, uh, sounds really one also thing about the appearance on this, it is a very, very crispy boy, but it should be noted that a lot of Kolsch yeast actually are very powdery and do not clear out right away. Mm -hmm. There's still not very much filtration or clarification that happens. I mean, Reinheitsenbolt, I can't do that in Germany most of the time. Yep. Uh, if you give Kolsch yeast enough time, it will just become bright and sparkling clear. So yeah. while freshness is important you still do want that proper uh conditioning time to get it bright and crispy yeah so this is uh, relatively oh i think that's josh leaving hi josh oh um, no that was some weird guy in a bmw who's just like sitting in his car out there i stared at him funny oh okay nice <laughs> boop, boop, boop. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so Kolsch is a relatively young beer when it's uh, drank. However, it does still have a lagering period. That lagering period is just until it's clear. That's that's as long as you need. And so uh, the whole ferment on a Kolsch can be, um, I don't know, two, three weeks, something like that. And then that lagering period is probably going to be another two weeks. Um, you want this cold, under pressure, uh, and that's a good way to kind of get that clarity really quickly while retaining that fresh flavor. So this isn't a uh, matured lager flavor like a lot of other lo uh, lager-esque or crispy boys would be. Um, Jimmy J's got a good question on the Pilsner malt that we would use, uh, floor malted or other specialty versions. Yes, uh, I think anything that's going to add a little bit of character, um, so floor malted uh, would be fine on this to help get you that grainy sweetness um, and that complexity without actually changing the color. Uh, I think it'd be a good idea. Um, I'd probably personally still just use like a classic like Best Malt's Pilsner, which is not floor malted. Um, but a floor malted would be appropriate if you had that extra proteinous and that extra... Um, range of character that comes from the inconsistency that you get when you floor malt. Uh, someone's asking what temperatures we lager at. Uh, that lager temperature is always going to be 36-ish, um, maybe even a little bit younger uh, or lower. But we want that lagering to happen at a cold temperature um, and under pressure. And the colder it is, um, the easier it's going to take to crash. You just don't want to be risking freezing. That's why we don't go close to 32. So 34 to 36 would be what I would say. Um, water profile, we'll get to towards the end of this, but, uh, I would, I would have said, uh, younger than 36, you know, yesterday. Yeah. Actually, I don't know how old Lisa is. <laughs> 35. Actually. Ah, there you go. So you're right. 
That's right. Uh, flavor, soft, rounded palate comprised of delicate flavor balance between soft yet attenuated malt and almost imperceptible fruity sweetness from fermentation. Um, same kind of thing. There's going to be a relatively crisp flavor. Um, it's going to be a German yeast that kind of, it's going to throw some subtle fruitiness, but we're fermenting it on the cold side and uh, so it's going to ferment pretty clean. Uh, actually going into flavor, uh, great question here. Some people say they can't see how Kolsch is distinguished from pale lager. Uh, flavor is actually one of those on there because you're warm fermenting lager yeast generally. You're getting some fruitiness that comes off of that yeast you wouldn't normally have. Uh, and that is definitely something different that's going to be from pale lagers. That little touch of fruitiness in there is going to be far different. Um, plus a couple of other distinctness from that the subtle fruitiness is also going to give you a little bit more of a malt impression um it says that a sulfury accent can be necessary i actually don't like sulfur in, in my cultures so i'm gonna say don't do that um, but that subtle fruitiness is really what makes the difference in flavor between that pale lager and um, and a kolsch uh, mouthfeel we got medium lights yeah. medium body uh, most are medium light um uh, talking about final gravity numbers um 1007 to 1011 um, so that's that's on the dry side. 10, 11, uh, 10, 12 is kind of that normal puffy mouth feel that you get from, you know, your standard, you know, IPAs or whatever, uh, like your Sierra Nevadas. That's probably around 10, 12. So 10, 11 is already starting out on the slightly light side, and it, it can go down to 10, 07, which is like almost Saison dryness. Yeah. And Mike Kolsch, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would say I prefer it on the drier side because this should just be a super, super crushable beer. Um, and I mean, even the way that they serve it to you in the nice skinny tall glasses, like you're meant to drink a ton of this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so I like it to be a little bit drier on that personally. Yeah, me too. Um, it's going to make it go down smooth and you're going to save a little bit of money getting into the alcohol range, uh, 4.4 to 5.2. So, um, yeah, it's a good way to go. Uh, general comments on this, it's characterized in Germany as a top fermented lager beer. Um, so again, in that hybrid range, um, uh, allow for a range of variation within the style when judging, um, drier versions may seem hoppier or more bitter. That kind of makes sense. Um, just kind of like how Miller seems like a hoppy beer, even though it's like 12 IBUs or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, due to its delicate flavor profile, Kolsch tends to have relatively short shelf life. Again, that's why we say you got to have it lagered so it's crispy clear, but you also want to, uh, make sure that it's drank young. Um, and yeah, it's served in uh, tall and narrow 200 mil glasses called a stange. Uh, I mean, they're beautiful. They Absolutely are. beautiful. Not a great glass for all beer styles, but for something on a nice hot day that you just want to wow. Yeah, they're, they're designed to shoot the beer down your throat. Mm -hmm. And it works super effectively. It's super effective. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Colch on that, uh, there's a, there is a lot of uh, variability in these beers, even in traditional Colch brewers. Um, it does vary around a lot. It, you know, it's, but you, I don't know where I was going with that. Honestly, I was going and I lost myself. I saw you drink beer and I'm like, we should drink <laughs> this because this is nice. I think it's that Vienna lager. It says VL on the top. Uh, yeah, so it definitely is a, on the lighter end of the flavor spectrum, but it's fruitier than an average Vienna, Vienna lager should be. Um, we've got a Stung question on me? thoughts on the Lalem and Kolsch yeast. Lalem and Kolsch yeast is actually really good. I have a, mm. a lot of great success with that, and a lot of other brewers in the area have used it and came back and told me 
that they recommend it, which is kind of why I started using it. Um, but uh, uh, the first person to get really jacked about it in the area was uh, Whistlepunk, and we know they do a good job. So when they say oh, yeah. something, we usually trust it. We usually trust it pretty darn well. Uh, so uh, BJCP characteristic ingredients on this: traditional German hops on there, Hallertau's, Tetnangs, Spalz, Hersbruckers. Uh, like we said, German pills. Um, or it does say pale malt. Uh, that just kind of takes away from the grainy sweetness on there. You're getting less grain, so stay, stay in that pills yeast. We like the pillsy range. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and actually, that question is right here in the BJCP, the style comparison. It says, to the untrained taster, easily mistaken for a cream ale or somewhat subtle pills. Um, and I, I've always kind of uh, re, or, uh, related it into it and that you know Kolsch is a hybrid version of a pills it's not exactly there's different water there's different uh, uh, malt bills and techniques to do this but for most people are like oh what's a Kolsch and like just kind of think of it as an ale version of Pilsner you're getting a little bit more fruitiness coming out of it it's not quite as hoppy in there but you know a little bit different a little yeah. bit different uh, and there's there's a, a distinct fullness that comes from a Kolsch. Like I said, it doesn't have to be really, really full, um, but you can use up to 20% wheat adjunct. And so, mm -hmm. and that is for that protein quality, that matrix, that little bit of head retention. Um, um, so using like a Pilsner malt versus a pale malt is also going to give you that same thing, that little bit of extra protein and head retention. Yeah. Uh, all right. So. Last are, thoughts are with Timothy. <laughs> yeah. Last thoughts on Kolsch drink it drink a lot of it but also hold your local breweries up to good standards of making good kolsch don't let them make bad beer ever yeah that's another one that i feel like a lot of people so uh, brewers will usually say when they go to a brewery to um to figure out how good the brewery is they'll try their pilsner kolsch is another one of those that uh, we would used to judge the quality of the brewery but a lot of people don't necessarily think to do that because kolsch is one of those ambiguous styles like not a lot of people know what a Kolsch should be and so a lot of brewers kind of fit things into the Kolsch category without really understanding what a Kolsch is supposed to be so that's another one that I would say that if you know what a Kolsch is supposed to taste like that's a really good judge of uh, how good your local brewery is yeah uh, and judging those off flavors well how they balance them if there's some in there at all uh, you know so uh, do it do it Jake says that is a Vienna lager that we are drinking. It's 9.75 pounds of Link Vienna malt and three ounces of pale chocolate. Okay. So the pale yeah. chocolate's an, an interesting choice. Uh, Color-wise, American Vienna lagers uh, are uh, historically uh, Americanized Vienna lagers, maybe is what I want to call it, mm. um, are a little bit on the darker side. Um, but traditionally, Vienna lagers are actually relatively light. So they can be like, uh, you know, orangish or straw yellow. So, yeah. um, but overall, the flavor is super, super clean. I'm there that subtle sweetness that comes from that being that link malt um i i enjoy it a lot is it link malt yeah oh yeah it says right there link wow i need to learn to read um <laughs> uh, the pale i mean i'm getting it's good a very low subtle roastiness from the uh, pale chocolate in there that when I think Vienna Lager, it's not normally a flavor that I think about, but I really enjoy it. It almost goes into Kentucky Common Realm for me, mm, like with yeah. with just with just not as much corn flavor. Flavor. Um, overall, I mean the the lager and the, the fact that the yeast is so clean on this is really really nice. 
So it's a really, really well done lager. I just might not have gone with the pale chocolate. Yeah, I, there's absolutely, I probably wouldn't have gone with the pale chocolate either, but I actually really love this beer. It's a fantastically delicious beer. Yum. So, Adam Chumbly, the Cronenberg uh, 1664, you had it for the first time this weekend, delicious. Uh, when I remember having it when I was in uh, France, it was absolutely delicious too. I believe that is a pale lager. Uh, I have no idea what that is. That so, as, personally. You know. yeah. So, uh, may, I mean, maybe a Kolsch, maybe not. But I, probably not a Kolsch. I, would, I think it's a European um, pale lager, export lager, green bottle lager. Yeah. One of those. One of those. Send us some, and then uh, we'll tell you what we think. We'll know exactly um, Daniel's asking, so it's kind of like a lighter version, a Kolsch is kind of like a lighter version of an alt beer, and I'm going to say no, just because alt beers are distinctly more minerally. So I guess we can talk a little bit about uh, the water chemistry that's going to go into a Kolsch. Um, Kolsch oh, yeah. can have a higher degree of sodium and chlorides than a lot of beers that you would expect. Um, so let's say 50 to 60 parts per million on both sodium and chloride. Um, other than that, they're really, really, really neutral. Whereas an alt beer um, can have a little bit more sulfate and a little bit more minerality overall. So more bicarbonates, more calcium, things like that. And that gives it a distinct texture dif difference. Um, so just because of that base feeling that you get between a Kolsch and an alt beer, I'm going to say it's not a lighter version. Um, although Kolsch's are just barely less hoppy they can go 18 to 30 ibus and i want to say alt beers can go like 20 let's say 24 to 35 is give me my guess maybe 40 um, alt beers can be hoppier yeah it, i would say like comparing it to the, yes they're both hybrids but that would be like saying a cream <clears throat> ale is a lighter version of a uh amber or a red <laughs> well kind of technically you're right in there there it's one's beer and one's in they're both ales they're both beer one's lighter than the other the way that these beers are put together it's not necessarily like this is just a lighter version they just happen to have the same hybrid fermentation technique where you're taking a beer that's meant to work or a yeast that's meant to work at one temperature and then fermenting it at another temperature uh, Jimmy Jay's got a really cool comment, actually. He did uh, Kolsch, um, which I kind of consider hybrid fermentations all the same. So lager yeast fermented warm or ale yeast fermented cold. Uh, again, it depends very much on the exact yeast that you're using, but it kind of all works the same to me. Um, so Jimmy did a cool experiment where he did a Kolsch yeast and a lager yeast, both fermented at the same beer, both fermented at 62, and the Kolsch yeast was distinctly fruitier. So even cold cheese fermented uh, cold, um, which can make a nice crispy boy, will still produce a subtle fruitiness, which in my mind gives a little bit more fullness to the beer. Um, uh, so with this style, I would probably, I would probably still say you can use cow lager and ferment it warm. Yeah. Um, fermented at 62, but uh, the the way to do it historically and stylistically would be that coal yeast fermented. Yeah. Um, I think uh, we use the one Stefaner strain, the uh, 3470 mm -hmm. generally on that. Yeah. Uh, which uh, pretty much is a true hybrid yeast anyway. Yeah. It's, um, it used to be a, it used to be thought to be a lager yeast, but it actually is a hybrid. Yeah. Like genetically yeah. speaking. That produces a little less fruitiness than the coal yeast does, but still a really nice fruit when it's at that warmer temperature. Oh yeah. So, but that's a really cool experiment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone look, try it. We, we, Kevin Raven, uh, right down there. Kolsch fermented with 3470 and 75 degrees. Yeah, go for it. Uh, we normally do ours a little bit cooler than that. I think we try and hit normal ale range at about 65-ish. Uh, but 
78 will probably be fine. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it, 75. Yeah, it, I mean, it does produce some fruitiness, but it's still not off-flavor fruitiness. Like, it, 68 is kind of the highest that I think it's still a very, very clean yeast. It's definitely not clean at 70 and 72. So 75 might be extra, extra fruity, but still good. Jake, yeah. thank you for the for the beer. And he says we've got a pale ale and Irish stout in there, too, if you want to give it a try. Yeah, uh, I grabbed... Um some i don't know what this is it has honey in it and it was fermented by thomas so oh yeah sorry um yeah so emmer's fermentation projects they're still working on some pop-ups and do some local stuff um i'm actually going to be working with thomas on doing a pop-up here hopefully before the end of the summer and i'm thinking i'm actually going to try to do a collab beer with him and a collab pop-up with him where we boil some lobsters and make a dinner out of it so high five to that yeah 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 um, if there's, I think there's some more questions on Kolsch stuff, but let's go ahead and keep moving on. All um, right. So some the, people are saying the 1664 is a whip beer. I'm looking at it right now on the uh, internet, and it is saying Golden Pale Lager. Does not mean that they make more that don't make more than one style. Yeah. And you could be drinking a whip beer on that, or they just ferment it really weirdly so it tastes like a wheat wit. I don't know. Count Drunkula says normal crony is a lager. So somebody might be thinking of 1664 Blanc, which maybe Ooh, that's yeah. the. That is the, uh, I believe that is the wit, or white beer. In Adam's defense, he did say he was pretty, pretty schmammied. Yeah, well, he just said that he had the Blanc. <laughs> there you go. Fine. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. You were confusing me by not giving me the full name. Also, send both of them so we can judge them. Beer. Ah, all right. Uh, so Let's jump into topic number one. Let's jump into topic number one. Get back on track here. <laughs> Uh, how to add coffee to beer. Um, so first of all, let's talk about the different ways or different types of coffee that you can add to beer. Because um, there's whole bean, which is what we usually use. Actually, that's what we always use uh, versus ground. And there's also brewed coffee, which you can brew hot and cold. And I've seen people use every single one of these types of beer. Um, and then we're going to kind of talk about what you get off of each one and why we prefer to use whole bean. Um, what should, we, should we start with the brood or should we start with the... the well, the, let's just uh, start in the techniques uh, uh, on uh, what this actually means on this and how we're adding that in. Uh, so whole bean, start with that. Whole bean literally just means whole beans in your beer. We treat it a lot like dry hopping for uh, the way to do it. But the way you're adding is using the entire beans for it. And the reason we like to do this is because the oils in the whole beans are expressed to the outside of the bean uh, most commonly. And when there's alcohol in there uh, or in what you're adding it to, uh, the alcohol will help to extract those oils. And so you're getting a lot more oil with a lot less of uh, the burnt tea bean material. Yeah. And it's great. <clears throat> it has really good extraction coming off of that, really soft extraction coming off of that because you have a more minimal surface area. Uh, while doing this, though, we do not like to do it more than 24 hours at a maximum, usually about 12 hours going into it. The reason for that being is, the reason for that being ah. uh, is that uh, the overexposure in there can start to really pull vegetal flavors out of the beans and make your beer taste like green peppers, like green bell peppers. Yeah. Uh, and someone already asked light, medium, or dark roast. We almost always go uh, light or medium uh, for the same reason that we go whole bean because we're actually not trying to get that burnt roast kind of character. We're not trying to get the uh, extra astringency uh, like we would from like a roasted barley. Um, 
and it's it's less obtrusive to the beer. Even if we're doing a stout, honestly, we do a stout. We usually build the stout to have the right amount of roast astringency just from the malts we're using. So we steer clear of the dark roasts and. That's also why we don't use ground coffee because it's going to give you more of that roastiness. Um, we build the roastiness off the beer and not off the beans. Doesn't mean that you can't use dark coffee to get that roastiness. You just need to be aware that that roastiness, that bitterness is coming in from those beans, using less of them on there because of that, as well as planning it out in your beer and not adding extra roastiness from your malts is going to make it far too astringent. Yeah. And I mean, speaking truthfully, we just understand a lot more about how beer malts work than we understand about how coffee beans work. And so it's less variable if we use whole beans because we know exactly we're aiming for those oils. Um, that said, if you want to build that cup of coffee kind of flavor, that roastiness that comes from that, um, and it's going to add part, a lot of color too, then you can use a dark roast and you can grind the coffee. It's always going to be a coarse grind, never a fine grind, because that's going to be a mm -hmm. pain in the butt to get out. But you can, you can use uh, ground coffee as well, but you are going to get that brewed cup of, cup of coffee kind of flavor in your beer. You're jumping ahead into the next like style here. Well, with that, that's a great uh, tangent to go in there, ground coffee using ground <coughs> coffee into it yeah and we've been talking about that with the ground coffee there's a higher surface area of contact with the beer on there because you're getting all those beans in there this is not brewed coffee fine powderiness it's not espresso grind fine powderiness i mean this is almost like throw the beans on the floor step on them a little bit and hit them with a mallet crack them open yeah, yeah you know uh very very coarse on it and again it's because this extra extraction this way is going to happen super duper fast you're also breaking open the beans which can break open some of the cells and release some of the other things inside of there that you don't want to get into your beer uh, and it it's a lot less controllable a lot more harsh and bitter coming out of that and you're always going to lose some oils doing this too because uh, whatever you have to grind it in is going to take some of those oils it's there they're just going to get left on whatever you're grinding it in we like those oils to stay on the bean which is why we use whole bean but uh mm -hmm. um yeah you're going to lose some oils by doing any sort of grinding you're going to get more of that uh that that roast that cup of coffee intenseness going in there yeah so for us uh, we like to have that more coming out of the malt and then use the coffee to supplement it and get more of the I just walked into a coffee shop with freshly roasting beans smell and flavor rather, excuse me rather than the freshly brewed cup <clears throat> coffee flavor uh, and the grinds in there they're harder to work with that's also another thing in it they are we much don't want that shit in our fermenters <laughs> that that's it they won't be in there forever they will the not be easy lines are going to be around forever there's a big danger of sucking them up and putting them in the package too and you really don't want that because that's just going to exacerbate the uh, green pepper flavor uh, the over extraction flavor from uh, the beans on there so that's just something that uh, we want to avoid of course you know you can bag them up but you're getting less uh, usage out of them that way so ground is okay to do it's not something that's bad it's just much harder to work with um, I would also say in my personal opinion you lose a little bit when you grind coffee and then don't brew with it right away a lot of those yeah. aromatics are driven off the oils and fats start oxidizing and changing right away um, so not our preferred method but you can definitely do it um, we got uh, Jimmy J asked a good question about white coffee have we, have we used white coffee and yes we have um, 
when we were back at the old shop a while ago, I actually did a white coffee brown ale that uh, went over very well. A lot of people liked, loved it. White coffee comes across as very, very nutty. Um, yeah. White coffee, by the way, is still kilned. It is still roasted. It's just not roasted very much. So it's not like a fresh bean. It's like kind of like the same process as drying hops, uh, maybe to a little, or like uh, making pale malt, I guess is a good way to put yeah. it. It's, yeah. it's, it's dried out and it's kilned for the purpose of drying out, which gives it a subtle cook, but not a big cook. Um, yeah. yeah, we actually we did several of them. We did uh, a white coffee, white chocolate, white stout over yeah. there. Um, actually, Ordnance Brewing Company. I don't uh, used to use it in their white crow white stout, which was super delicious. Uh, I think they still do. I don't, it's been a long time. Ordnance, send us some beer, especially the white crow and the black fisk and black fisky. Oh my God, send us black fisky, please. Uh, they but were supposed to send us a. They were supposed supposed to send us beer after we did a, an ordinance beer review. I know, and it, it was did. unfair to them because we did not use the freshest beers, and that was. We mentioned that in the in the in the video yeah. though. They were all delicious, even though they weren't the freshest. And I love ordinance, and you should drink their beer, especially Black Fisky. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's good. It, it, just remember that uh, white coffee is different. It tastes like how it smells. Very nutty on that. It's very strong. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's more fattiness to it. I may be wrong on that. Um, but I did notice it was it, more so than regular coffee. Uh, there was a little bit of, uh, like, the fatty film, and the head retention was absolutely horrible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just keep in mind, you're putting fats and oils into it with coffee, so don't expect head retention. Um, Chumbly took your advice and did a whole bean coffee, three ounces for about 20 hours. I'm assuming for a five gallon batch. Uh, mm. After cold crashing, the early poles were astringent. The later poles uh, were light coffee character at best. I'll filter next time. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, might have had to do with the type of coffee or the age of the coffee would be my, my only guess. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I that, that's something that I would love to, to taste to kind of figure out what it's one of those things that if I don't have the actual palate on it, if I can't actually taste something, it's hard for me to say what might have happened. Yeah, we can make guesses. But, yeah. Um, um, maybe you didn't have good agitation or something like that, or you didn't uh, um, have full contact over the beans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, going along <clears throat> with that, the freshness of the coffee is actually extremely important more so important than trying to pick out specific rows from specific places and things like that. If it is not fresh, because coffee does degrade. When you're making cups of coffee, it's not that big of a deal because, uh, you know, drip coffee or pour overs, stuff like that. And, you know, it tastes all about the same when you're brewing it. In beer, because of the breakdowns of the fats, the oils, the oxidation, the degassing, the way it interacts with fermentation, you need this to be fresh. And I mean, when you're going to make a coffee beer, go to a local roaster and literally just ask for what was the freshest thing made. Yeah. And he said it was also better luck. That one is also in a porter base. And so, uh, I think the best way to, to find your favorite coffeeing method would probably be to do it in a light base so you know exactly what coffee flavor you're getting. Our number one beer that we sell here is our coffee Kolsch, and so it's always in a light, light base. Mm -hmm. So we kind of know where the beer is before and exactly what the coffee flavor adds to it. So, Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, uh, try, try it in a light beer. 
Brewed coffee. Let's move on to our third most common uh, way to do this, uh, add coffee to beers. And that's brewed coffee. Yeah. And the brewed coffee can go one of two ways, hot brewing or cold brewing on that. Uh, they do actually add some very different uh, flavor aspects when you do that. Just like they do when you brew the coffee and drink it. So I'll go ahead and say um, I 100% prefer cold brewed coffee if I'm going to do brewed coffee in beer. The reason being a hot brewed coffee, um, and I've had a lot of beers made of hot brewed coffee, but there's extra astringency that comes from the coffee and also it oxidizes very rapidly. Um, so uh, you know how if you pour a cup of coffee, it's like all the coffee flavor for the first minute and then uh, you know aggressively gets more and more acidic over time. Uh, the same kind of thing happens when you do brewed coffee, hot brewed coffee, and beer. Um, cold brewed coffee uh, lowers that acidity and is a, uh, I think it masks into beer a lot better. Um, I have had some well done okay. beers made with hot brewed coffee. Basically, as soon as the pot was done, they added it into the whirlpool and then cooled everything down together. That said, nine times out of 10, when I have beer made with hot brewed coffee, it's overly acidic and there's a unique separation of flavors. It's like coffee flavor, acidity, beer. And that separation of flavors is very distracting when you're tasting the whole thing. And so cold brewed coffee has nine times out of 10 blended way, way better. Yeah, um, I will also agree with that. Uh, and going into it, the cold brew coffee is generally stronger uh, has a much softer flavor to it, and in my opinion, is a lot more controllable adding it into things. You know what, Fly, you almost died, and you come straight back. Uh, anyway, uh, we need to get a uh, chameleon. Mm, or a couple of Venus flytraps. Yeah. Uh, if anyone has a pet chameleon they want to bring in today, or any sort of lizard that can catch flies, mm. we have a hit. A hit. For we, you, we 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 yeah. have we have a fly that they can eat. Yeah, you're hit. You're uh, you're the your chameleon's a hit man. We have a hit. We have a hit. Uh, but yeah, adding it in, it, I've always found that to be far more controllable. But also because of that freshness, cold brew can normally last for several days without going into that really harsh, bitter, acidic realm where fresh brewed coffee hits it almost immediately. Uh, on there it also i mean that my wife makes strong coffee but it is not as strong as cold brew and i like being able to add less to get more flavor out of there feels a little bit more controllable to me it's like a nice dilution. flavor concentrate yeah exactly. which is great. i think it's a great way to do it it is and, and you know i will say there are some beers where you really want that big aggressive black cup of coffee flavor coming out of it uh which would mean that the cold brew method is more appropriate than doing the whole bean method. Uh, especially if you're designing that beer to be a black cup of coffee or a big espresso type of beer like that. But again, keeping in mind that you have all of those dark wrists. Are you going for a bigger glass? No, Count Dracula said we should get some star sand spray for the uh, fly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, man lost my train of thought because i'm pouring beer uh so but again realizing that if you're doing it by coffee are you doing it with uh the cold brew coffee the warm brew coffee or hot coffee there uh that you're getting those extra big roasty sharp acidic astringent flavors coming out of it so compensate for that in your mash and don't make uh your malts 
big and roasty and astringent. Rely on the coffee for that. Uh, a couple of comments on coffeeing already for a big bourbon stout. Somebody made a cold, uh, made cold brewed with bourbon, so 4.5 ounces of coffee with 18 ounces of whiskey. Um, yielded 10 ounces after the coffee beans absorbed some whiskey. Uh, put it in a corny cake and transfer it on. That sounds delicious. Sounds like a good idea. My one thought is if the uh, coffee is dark roast, the uh, high alcohol from um, from being alcohol from whiskey can sometimes pull too much astringency. So that's the one uh, risk there if people are you know trying the same thing at home. Uh, and then Greg H says, last time I made a coffee stout, I used five ounces of whole bean for a day before bottling. Noticeable coffee flavor without being astringent. That's what we like to hear. Whole bean for the win. Whole bean for the win. Um, there was somebody... Uh, Somebody had some uh, bad flavors in there. Came out tasting like peppers. Oh, peppers are usually just uh, too much time either on the coffee or the beer itself just got old with coffee flavor. Uh, and that can happen. If the beer gets a little bit too old, it can turn into there. Yeah, there you are, Kevin. Uh, tried it with light roast and all you got was peppers coming off of it i believe you came back whole bean during the last 24 hours of fermentation and they did a secondary dry bean in a keg for 12 ounce uh, hours and it eventually faded into something decent after three weeks and i think probably the green pepper uh, at the beginning of it was just the over coughing of it you're getting pulling a bunch of those vegetal flavors coming out because you did two of them and partially during fermentation um, the fermentation could have uh, pulled a little bit of that out there too and then it faded off and you had something drinkable in there uh, green pepper is probably one of the biggest problems with coffee beer and where people go wrong is you have too much coffee or you left it on the coffee for too long and you get vegetal flavors coming out. Yeah. David Colette, great to see you on the chat. He used uh, our advice for a Blondale dry hopping with cryo laurels. Um, so good luck with that. Uh, have a good day. Thanks for joining on the chat. Yeah, thank you. Uh, okay. Let's talk about the different times that you add the different kinds of coffee because there's, there's three different kind of options for it. Uh, there's you add coffee in the boil, which by the way, I never recommend. You add it in the whirlpool, which has its uses and it's not uses, or you add it in secondary. Um, so boil, the reason that I almost always am going to avoid this is because extra cook time on coffee always yields extra acidity and that extra acidity can sometimes be distracting. But um, I've seen a lot of people use both brewed and beaned coffee in the whirlpool with pretty decent effects. Yeah, uh, if you're going to do, uh, Honestly, this is what I'd say if you're going to do a hot extracted coffee on it. If you're going to do hot coffee, do it through the Whirlpool. Hot coffee. Yam. Uh, so do it in the Whirlpool. Uh, put your beans in there. Whirlpool your wort straight over it. Uh, one, you're going to be, don't boil it. Boiling temperature, don't boil coffee to start out with. Let's just start there. When you're making coffee, you shouldn't be using boiling water. You should be using less than boiling water. So throwing them into the boil is going to really exacerbate that bitter, bitter harshness out of there. Doing it in the whirlpool, especially after it's dropped under 200, is going to give you a much cleaner, tastier extraction out of the whole beans on that. Yep. <clears throat> so that'll be good. But 
secondary, uh, secondary, I would say, is probably both of ours extreme preferred method on that. Yeah, it's just easy to adjust flavors and know exactly what you're adding to the um, to the batch of beer. Uh, the only way to do, the only reason to do a whirlpool is if you just wanted to get the coffee flavor in there pre-fermentation, which can also scrub aromatics. And so that's not why we usually don't enjoy that. Um, uh, I've seen people do brewed coffee. If it's hot brewed coffee, right into um, the whirlpool while you're chilling down. I've seen that work with some success. Um, but again, you're risking extra acidity. And so secondary is both of our preferred methods because it uh, maintains uh, the, uh, um, the aromatics and it absorbs the coffee. You have also have alcohol that's going to help absorb some of the oils um, uh, right off the bat. And so you're helping, you're not losing some aromatics that you can get. Yeah, um, so alcohol is a great solvent. Yeah. Um, and we prefer secondary. Yeah, Jimmy J, you, you actually brought this up. What about in the mash? Something recommended by Chris England. Uh, I think it's, uh, you think is his name from Chop and Brew video for Coffee Mild. Uh, when the, I mean, I like that as that low temperature extraction in there. You're going to get some really nice soft things. What I don't like about doing that is then the coffee is going through the boil, which the boil is then going to change some things in there and drive off some really volatile aromatics. And then it's going to go through fermentation, which is going to even further drive off at the aromatics. Yeah, so if you're using coffee in the mash, the number one thing is you got to realize that you're stripping so much that you have to know what you actually are trying to add to the beer. And at that point, you're almost adding it as another malt. Um, it's mm. going to be subtle. It's going to be, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe like coffee malt. You're adding some stuff that's going to definitely make it into the beer and give you the perception of coffee, but there are a lot of other malts that can also give you the perception of coffee. And so um, if you're going for a coffee beer that's not noticeably coffee, that's why I would think adding in the mash could have its value. Um, well, and just that, a coffee mild. I, a mild British mild uh, with that coffee flavor. I mean, I would think you want to be ex in the style itself for mild. You want it to be extremely subdued. You want to be have this nice mild character going on. And putting the coffee in the mash might be actually be really good for that because you just want that subtle flavor coming across and not the big punchiness of the coffee coming out. Uh, so that could be exactly what he's going for in there and be the proper method for that in particular beer. Yeah. Um, just for us, we, we, when we add the coffee in there, we really want you to be tasting the beans, the quality of that roast, the whole like experience with that. And a lot of that is in the nose. We like to preserve those aromatics and without having done it and maybe that's an experiment we need to do um it would seem like most of the uh good volatile aromatics are going to be blown off through boil and fermentation in that method uh yeah uh, so zach mccary had a uh, mccrary had a good question um it's already been answered but i feel like everyone should hear it and so i'm gonna kind of re-answer it mm -hmm. um when you add uh, when you're making a golden stout or a white stout uh, do we have to use white coffee so that we get the nuttiness without the color? Uh, and then John Crawford already answered it. Whole beans don't add color or they add very little color. Mm -hmm. um, so we get big coffee flavor using whole beans without changing the color of our coffee colors for an example. So uh, if you're making a white stout, just use whole beans. Just don't use dark roast, um, light yeah. or medium roast, and you'll get great coffee flavor without all the color. The white coffee is going to be far nuttier. Um than what you're looking for in, in experiences of using that, you're gonna be taking it into that nut brown realm rather than the stout realm. You're gonna be missing the roasts from the white coffee. Uh, and the whole beans, 
if they add color, it's not very much at all and it won't be noticeable because you are using very little coffee to achieve the flavors in there. (laughs) Adam Chumbly, thanks so much for the super chat. Gotta know, raise your hands if you get talked into drinking cheap beer to save money on a beer crawl, but end up spending way more money because it's like water and you drink three times as much. Yes, that happens quite a bit. I'll, uh, if I'm if I'm at a place where I'm drinking Coors Light, for example, I can probably drink like 10 to 12 Coors Lights. Whereas if I'm drinking a nice IPA, I can probably, I mean, I can drink a lot, but I probably will only drink like three. So. Yeah. I, most of the time I'll find that I spend less <clears throat> if I'm drinking nicer beers and more if I'm drinking crappy because it's just like, yeah, who cares? This is water. Let's just chug them on down. 10 Bud Lights or like two nice IPAs or a coffee stout. Let's coffee do them IPAs. Uh, Nocturnal Brewer, how about adding coffee in the mash for a raw? Uh, yeah, that's a pretty decent way to add it in for a raw ale. Again, I'm going to go back into that it's going through fermentation, so you're going to be losing some of those volatile aromatics on it. But if you're doing a raw ale and you want a little bit more of that brewed coffee flavor, that's a great way to do it. Uh, Bruce Wayne, first of all, that's a fantastic name. Mm-hmm. I'm planning to brew a white stout for my friend's birthday. I wanted to use lactose, oatmeal, and cold brew for a five-gallon badge. Any experience with using lactose and cold brewed coffee? Uh, yeah. Um, so lactose is going to give you that, that flatness that you kind of expect. Um, lactose does not, and this is important for everyone to know, lactose does not give you that milk flavor uh, or especially that espresso cappuccino kind of flavor um, that you get from coffee. There's a lot more fullness that goes into that. Um, and a touch of sweetness from milk actually having more in it besides just lactose as the sugar. Milk um, fat is actually pretty sweet. Yeah. Especially when you cook it, that's part of the steaming action when you, you're making an espresso or cappuccino is cooking that milk fat, and it ends up being a lot sweeter than you think it does. So something like a small, almost imperceptible amount of vanilla can actually help drive that flavor. Mm. Uh, And then also playing with your water chemistry to have a little bit more sodium and chloride in your water chemistry can kind of help fill that role a little bit. Yeah, and you already got the uh, oatmeal in there, but having some sweet puffy malts as well. Oats actually are really nice too. Actually oat malts, because they have the fats and the slickness that's in there, they'll really help boost the body perception. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we're all caught up. Let's go into topic number two if we have time. Yeah, yeah. Unless people just want to do more coffee talk. Um, for the coffee. Talk I about mean, if you, actually, this has been asked. How much whole beans for five gallons? There's a. Uh, I think I've passed by a couple of these on there. Um, you know, it kind of depends on your coffee, what you're achieving for that. But uh, let's see. We've gotten by with as little as one ounce with yeah. great, great, great coffee flavor. Um, and, you know, for a bigger, darker beer with more sweetness, it's already in the beer. Uh, and it's got, you know, flavors that you've got to kind of join up to that level uh, as high as five ounces. Yeah. And uh, again, like I said, depending on the coffee that's in there, if you are using a flavored coffee, say like a caramel hazelnut coffee, uh, you need far less of it because those flavors are actually going to absorb in there and boost it up a little bit. If you're using a lighter roast, you probably need a little bit more than you would in the medium or than the darker roast. Because the darker roast, the darker it is, the more aggressive that coffee is going to be coming out of there. So it, it's somewhere in between that one to five ounces. I mean, I would say if you're not sure on it, two to three ounces is probably where you should sit to play around with whole bean in secondary 
Yeah. Um, curious if we think it's good to add more beans for a shorter amount of time when adding to higher ABV beers. Um, the beans get pretty full exposure really, really quick. And so more beans is just going to mean more flavor. Um, the higher ABV, obviously you're going to have a little bit more solvent capabilities, but, um, I think that's more or less negligible. So I would, I would still stick to pretty much the same, um, the same beaning schedule. I mean, we're talking about 12 hours here. That's pretty much all you need to get mostly maximum exposure, especially avoiding green pepper. So I don't, a shorter amount of time, I mean, for, we have 12 hours to put beans on beers. If you don't have 12 hours to put beans on beers, that's probably where you should move into more of a tincture situation, um, extracting it out in uh, alcohol or even a cold brew so you can more fully control it and get to the levels you want, or dry bean it and maybe adding a tincture or some cold brew to get it to the level you want. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. Let's move on to... We've got a little bit of time. we got a little bit of time. Well, I mean, we'll go over a little bit uh, on these. So let's use, use adjuncts and why we use them. Um, so a lot of people are kind of used to using wheat as part of certain styles like wheat beers. Um, used to using corn for, you know, American light lagers, Mexican lagers, things like that. Um, we're going to talk about a couple that we use that people don't necessarily expect to be used in a lot of different styles. And we're going to start with rye. Um, not necessarily for beers that rye is meant to be used, but we'll talk about those as well. But why we add rye to regular beers, because actually our coffee Kolsch recipe uh, has rye in it. Yeah, and rye is a phenomenal malt. And I will say to most of you people out there that say, oh, I don't like rye beers. No, you don't like bad beer made with rye as a feature. Here's mm -hmm. a I don't know. I mean, there was a span of a while in beers where rye IPA, rye pale ale, and it's just like, yeah, you made a bad beer with rye, didn't understand what you're doing, and now people hate rye. Yeah. But rye, we're using rye, uh, and a lot of time, well, actually, it goes back and forth between uh, malted and flake, depending on what we're using it for. We're using rye to boost certain flavors in it. And you all, most people say you're getting some spiciness out of it, which is true. That little bit of like pumpernickel bread. Yeah. Uh, which is why it's in the coffee coach. Add that little bit of touch of spiciness that a lot of people actually think comes from hops in our coach, comes from rye. Yeah, and uh, the reason we use it specifically is because it kind of bridges that gap between the coffee flavors, which are beany, slightly vegetal, and then, of course, all the roast flavors that go with it. So it bridges that gap between that and the natural malt flavors. So that little pumpernickelness kind of gives some wholeness to the overall beer feel, uh, and that wholeness kind of makes it so that the beer flavors make sense with the coffee flavors. It makes it taste better on the wholeness. On the wholeness, it tastes better. It tastes better. Uh, and, you know, that's uh, I love making alt beers also with rye. Just that little bit of touch of spiciness in the, uh, from the rye that's going in there. And talking now about uh, rye malt, not flaked rye, uh, even though flaked rye will do that, I'm talking about rye malt at the moment. We had a question about it. We'll get back to that. Uh, because adding it to the alt beer, you're really getting kind of that classic Dusseldorf spalt hop flavor without actually using the spalt hops, finding them, or going too overboard on it. Yeah. Um, so it is very subtle, but that spiciness we're talking about, like imagine pumpernickel bread. It's It's got some, some interesting spice brightness 
that goes along with the flavor, but it's not a brightness that distracts from the sweetness. And that's that's kind of why we use rye because it's it's a weird flavor if it that does if it doesn't make sense um, because it's like a spiciness and it fits in with the sweetness all at the same time. Um, talking about rye malt and flaked rye, both of them are going to have le- uh, relatively high levels of protein. So this is something we would substitute for wheat, um, for example, or even oats. Um, but the uh, the extra proteins are always going to be bodybuilding, and so we use this uh, we'll, when we're thinking about adding rye to a beer. We're always selecting it, knowing that it's going to be building body. So that's part of our kind of equation with why we add it. Yeah, and of course, if you're using the pre-gelatinized, you know, the flaked instead of the malt on there, <clears throat> it will add a little bit more puffiness and body than the malted rye uh, will on it. The flaked rye uh, tends to be more bready to me as well. Uh, You're getting far more bread with a little bit of pumpernickel in there, a little bit um, rather than the rye malt where you have that nice pumpernickel spice and some fullness behind it. Uh, Those are some of the big differences that I get between those two. Uh, Someone's asking flaked rye and a hazy. So although it will perform the hazy part of making a hazy, uh, I think that flavor would be a little bit distracting when you really want the hazy to be about the hop uh, percent- uh, perception. So something that's like a flat cereal graininess, like a wheat malt might be a little bit better, or that slickness from oat malt might be better. Uh, yeah, um, most of the time the flavor you're trying to get out of a haziness is not exactly what, and I think this was kind of my deal with a lot of the big rye IPAs and rye pale ales, if people were not matching the flavors of the rye to the hops well enough and especially in a hazy where you're looking for more of the fruit and the juice to be coming out of it that's going to be a lot harder to match up to the rye spiciness and breadiness rather than just having that soft sweetness from the oats and wheat yeah not that it can't be done but just keep that in mind and then maybe move it more into um the orange type of uh, hops, citrus yeah. type of hops. Yeah, Amarillo, and I was going to say even some like extra piney ones like Chinook. So yeah. like, if rye was that bridge behind making like a Chinook Amarillo I, hazy, I don't even know exactly what that would feel like, but that'd be worth a try. Yeah, uh, definitely in there. Um, it's pretty, it's a great malt that should be used in more things. And in fact, I personally believe that rye malts and flaked rye should be used in far more saisons than they are. Oh yeah, it's going to super complement the saisons, uh, but also because of the extra proteininess and puffiness in there, it's going to help with the saison because they go so extremely dry. It's going to help boost that body character in there as well. Yeah, well, I'll give you some middle flavor. Um, let's talk about uh, rice. Rice is our next one that we use that I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily know why we use it or how to use it or. We don't see it in as much recipes as it should be in, but rice is really fun because while while something like rye or wheat or oats build and puff up a beer, rice actually serves to dry out the beer, kind of like flaked corn would. However, rye adds a creaminess to the beer at the end, which kind of makes it a a, a really fun um, adjunct malt to play with because it's both drying out the beer and making it creamier. Rye or rice? Rice. Rice, you just said rye. Rye is the- on the brain. We're but, yeah, we're not talking about rice, not rye. Yeah, but rice adds creaminess and dries out the beer. I will actually tell you, rice is one of my favorite things to add into juicy IPAs. Yeah, uh, be, I, 
we make our juices drier than most people do, but to retain some of that really good puffiness and uh, impressions of sweetness, but still have a beer that's not gonna be sugar on your palate, Flaked rice is where it's at for me. I love flaked rice and beers. One of my earliest and favorite cream ales that I did was flaked rice because I was going to be adding, I wanted it to be dry, and I also added blueberries to it. Um, and I knew that was going to give the perception of sweetness, but also help dry it out. And so I added the flaked rice, bridged that gap nicely. We had a nice creamy, probably finished at like 10.08 beer with blueberries. Yeah. Ended up being way too high alcohol because I didn't calculate for the <laughs> blueberry sugar, but it was really good. And I called it I Blue Cream Ale. Because it... Blueberries and cream. Cream, yeah. and it blew everywhere. Yeah. Mm, mm, I did. It was so good. What? Um, <clears throat> yes, uh, Frazzled Penguin. When I say rice and a juicy, I do mean flaked rice. Uh, using actual rice is an interesting and uh, much more involved concept than, you know, using anything else are using the flaked rice. I am talking about using flaked rice and that's mostly what we're talking about at the moment is flaked rice and beers because uh, it's much easier to use. But using actual rice and beers is delicious too and that is something that uh, I think should be explored a lot more. I actually tend to absolutely love Japanese rice lagers for this. Yeah. Oh, One thing we'll mention though is if you do use actual rice in beers, it's really important that you fully cook the rice first. And so you're kind of taking care of the gelatinization process uh, before adding it to the mash. It's going to make it a lot easier for your mash to pull off starches from the rice. Yeah. Uh, and that, I mean, literally just cook up some rice and then chuck it in your mash and away you go. Uh, that works great. Um, is minute rice a substitute for flaked rice? Sort of, yes. So minute rice is actually just dehydrated uh, cooked rice. So it's mm -hmm. basically gelatinized, and a lot of the sugars are super accessible. Not exactly, but in a pinch, go for it. It'll work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyone used uh, sake and beer? Go watch our uh, Will It Brew on Octopus. Yeah. And you will find out. Because, yes, yes, we did. Um, I ended up adding, like, probably a half a gallon of sake, sake. to mine. <laughs> yes, he did. I really wanted to round out that rice flavor, and I didn't know how to get it in there. Yeah, and, and you know, um, and it's actually great. I mean, some of the things that you get out of sake uh, on there go really good when you're using rice in there. Uh, if you're using, you know, something like jasmine rice through it, you can catch some of those aromatics on the end. They're going to be super light and delicate. Uh, if you're using, let's see, we had one with uh, pink rice. Yeah. And the pink rice was far more mineralic. It almost had a little bit of a sweeter caramely color to it. And there was a difference in the beers. I mean, I don't know that if you didn't, if we didn't know it was there, you probably couldn't pick it out. But there was a difference in beers because you're using something different. So. Um, let's go into some questions because we have, we have spelt and triticale that we're going to go over, but we're kind of running into... I'm going to be open in the next nine minutes, and let's just uh, keep tackling some rice talk and some questions. If you guys got them, go ahead and shoot them. Yeah. Um, um, minute uh, rice, straight to the mash. Yes, Jimmy Johnson. Yes, straight to the mash in there. Use some extra rice holes because you're going to need it. Yeah, absolutely. But anything that's gelatinized is going to have that extra smushiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and a lot, a lot of people did mention how rice, uh, Tuan Bui, I think, uh, added that rice is awesome, but has a, uh, it's gotten a bad rap because of commercial brewers, and that's usually because they're using rice uh, syrups or sugar straight from rice. 
um, kind of like using corn syrup, but from rice. Um, not that that makes their beer bad. That actually might be probably the, one of the better parts of their beer. But yeah. rice in general is a is a phenomenal ingredient that I, I think can go in a lot more beers than people imagine they can go in. The bad rap that, um, and it should be a bad <clears throat> rap for this, that is developed off of that is when bigger brewers are using adjuncts like rice syrups or corn syrups to make up the alcohol and then adding back flavorings and telling you that it's pure beer. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's the bad rap. If you're using corn, flake corn, corn, rice, flaked rice, all those good things as a way to get flavor out for specific intended purposes, it's absolutely phenomenal and you should do it. Um, even using, you know, corn dextrose in your beers or using rice syrups or rice solids in your beers but using them for intended purposes and not just how can i make this cheaper and charge you more for it yeah uh nocturnal brew has a good question what percentage of rice would we recommend uh i go 10 to 15 um but it's not a a strict range you could probably go 30 percent rice and still make a great beer Uh, but 10 to 15 is kind of an easy you'll get good flavor and creaminess off of it and uh it'll it'll do its job yeah um, there you go. Sorry, I'm reading a couple of them. Koji beer. Uh, there, I, we've actually had a... I haven't had enough. And I think when someone sent it, we might have drank a few before we had it. But the Koji... Koji is what they use to ferment sake, and it's a little bit different of a fungus. I'm not even... Is it classified as yeast? Yeah, it's a fermenter, and it works like yeast. Uh, different, do it, make some, send it to us. Yeah, that'd be good. Probably a little bit funky, but it'd be good. Uh, what's yeah. a commercially available beer with flaked rice? I, Outside of the ones that we make, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, well, honestly, uh, well, flaked rice, maybe not quite as much. I was going to say that a lot of the uh, rice lagers that you get will... Actually, I would say a lot of the commercially uh, craft commercial uh, rice lagers probably have a good proportion of flaked rice in there. Yeah. Um, honestly, that's going to be a little bit harder to find, especially because of the stigma against rice. It's it's a bad word in brewing industry, which is silly. Yeah. Um, someone earlier asked a question about different types of sours. And if you want to, if you're still here, if you want to reword that question, I want to, I wanted to get to it, but it's, I, I can't find it scrolling up. So if you were the one that asked about different types of sours and something about how they taste different, re-ask that question. Yeah. John Booth. What about brown rice? Is there a difference when brewing? Yes. Uh, br- flake brown rice is actually a thing that you can get too. Uh, it's a different Grain. It has a little bit of a different flavor to it. Um, best way to know that flavor is cook some, eat it, and then you'll know the, what it's going to potentially add. But yeah, there is a difference between you know just, just the basic white rice and that. Yeah, uh, all the different kinds of rice are going to have their own natural flavor. So like wild rice, which isn't really wild, but that's a different conversation. Is going to have you know naturally more uh, kind of like earthy minerality to it. Besides. Um, just like bleached flaked white rice. Um, what we're usually talking about is flaked either brown or white rice, which means it's relatively neutral. Brown's going to have a slightly bolder flavor than the white rice, um, but texture-wise, they're going to present the same. So they're both yeah. they're both good to use. 
Uh, there's your acid question, but I want to hit on this one. Can flake potatoes be used as an adjunct? Potatoes can 100% be used as an adjunct. As someone else said in <clears> here, <throat> make sure the ingredients uh, on some of your commercial flake products. Like, I mean, if you're going for the box of flake potatoes that you add milk to and rehydrate, there's probably going to be some minerals and some preservatives and other things that are in there. So look at it. If it's literally just flake potatoes, go for it. It'll work. All right. All right. Different tastes for different souring methods like kettle versus co-pitch versus barrel. Uh, that's a very complicated question, um, but kind of as a general rule of thumb, kettle sours are going to strictly produce lactic acid. Lactic acid is what I call the sweetest of all the acids. And so it has a flavor that naturally melts into, um, into beer. And it's just like a sourness on top of beer, but it's like a sweet sourness. Um, it's so it's very, very pleasant, very, very light, very, very neutral. Um, even if you go really, really, really heavy on that lactic acid, it's still just going to get more and more warheadsy where you got sweetness and acid kind of all in the same beer. Yeah, it, it's a very kind, forgiving acid. Yeah. Co-pitch. Co-pitch is going to be a little bit of a different story, so that kind of depends on what you're co-pitching. So a lot of people will co-pitch a lactobacillus strain or a strain that produces lactic acid with a yeast. Again, you're going to get a similar flavor to what you would get with a kettle sour, however, maybe less controlled and sometimes end with less acidity. So it's not going to be as strong. Uh, that's going to be more like an uh, old school Berliner Weiss without, uh, like not super old school when, when it's just straight lactic acid. But the uh, because you have yeast competing with your lactobacillus, that co-pitch is going to um, drop down the flavor of lactic acid that you can get. But if you mean co-pitch with uh, Brett, lactic acid producing bacteria, um, Petio, like all those different things, why sell them? Um, then it gets a little bit more complicated. You have to figure out what's going to compete and how long you're fermenting for. So if you're fermenting for a year and you have Brett and Petio, those are going to present some funky barnyard flavors, sometimes some ropiness, sometimes some um, like stale hay kind of flavors. Um, sometimes they'll go through stages where it's super, super plasticky and not tastes very good and it'll kind of come back around and be a very pleasant beer so that's where it gets kind of complicated um, that's going to barrel age and that's because that specifically is going to help present a certain bacteria which is acetobacter and that's going to pursue, produce acetic acid that's when you get into your Flanderses, your Ode Bruins things like that that have a more complex sour character and part of that is the acetic acid which is a very aggressive acid that's vinegar uh, and that vinegariness uh, is pungent and sometimes can outcompete all other acids so there's a lot of acids that are going to be in play with a barrel sour um, versus a co-pitch versus a kettle sour um, malic acid too going to be like sharp um, there's there's a lot of other acids that are produced. Co-pitching uh, co into your uh, fermenter can be extremely controllable uh, depending on uh, when you pitch everything, you know, pitching lacto first, pitching the petio with the sack, hitting brett late, or pitching lacto brett first and then waiting to pitch some other things very controllable a lot more predictable coming out of there and especially because it's in a closed co2 environment uh, you're not in danger of creating some off flavors as well as you are not creating any of the oxygen dependent flavors that some of these things can create which would be the vinegar specifically yeah uh, as well as brett using uh, brett will create the acetobacter in there by grabbing oxygen and fermenting an acid into a different acid uh 
far more controllable and generally that's something that when you want to create a a mix firm or mix fermented sour without spending a lot of time and having more risk on it barrels do something far different because it's wood there's a lot of stuff that can live in there uh, if it's a multi-use barrel you're building up a colony inside that can morph into you don't even know what's on the inside fermenting that out uh, the acetobacter generally gets in there. It generally is creating some other good flavors to go along with it. The micro oxygenation that can happen through white oak, if you're using white oak, not red oak, uh, on that allows different pathways for fermentations and different flavors in there. So that'll create a much more wild, uh, not necessarily wild yeast but wild ferment and you're never really sure what's coming out of a barrel because there's a whole bunch of different things moving back and forth the whole time and you gotta have some good uh good practices good blending techniques and uh luck yeah you know but the, they all produce wonderful things the big difference on there, uh, if you are looking for what most people are putting out on the market as sours, that's pretty much going to be your straight lab or lactic acid uh, bacteria uh, on that kettle souring or just uh, co-fermenting um, lactobacillus with a sac strain of some kind, a normal yeast strain of some kind. That's where most people are going with sours. Uh, it's a lot more one-dimensional, but a lot more friendly and forgiving than the other two. And you said you uh, made a Gosa recently after the video a couple months back, and it sounded really interesting. Just tapped it two weeks ago, and it tasted really nice. Awesome. Nice. We love to hear that. Nocturnal Brewer, everyone weighing your rice. Do you, would you weigh it before or after cooking? Before. Before. Don't add the water weight. Dry weight. Dry weight. All right. Tim's going to close us out. We're going to get open. Um, high five, everybody. Also, something about we have a Discord server. It's probably links below, or if it's not, it's on another video, Discord, something like that. Yeah. All right. So thanks for tuning in with us. We appreciate you guys uh, doing that for us. You know, definitely go through, hit the like button for us. That helps us out a whole heck of a lot. Defeat the algorithm. Uh, tune in next week. We do this uh, every Sunday, or at least we try to, 8.45ish in the uh, morning there. We do have links to all our social media sites on it, Facebook, Instagram, our Facebook, Instagrams, uh, TikTok might be on there even. I'm not even sure what's on the TikTok right now. should go check it out. It might be funny. Uh, we, did, we did start up a Discord server, so that's pretty fun. If we miss your answers on this, that's actually a great place to go ask the, if we missed your questions yeah that one if we miss your questions on this that's a great place to go in there get on our discord you can ask some questions we'll try to get back to everybody as quickly as possible uh, sometimes that's the same day sometimes it's not so uh, do keep that in mind we're trying as best we can uh, get on there like it join the conversation and uh, keep sending us great beer so thank you we will see you next time <laughs>